Well, I don't know if we can even put into words the kind of excitement and joy, the sheer elation that they were feeling as they marched towards freedom. The people of Israel, for over 400 years, had been in captivity, in slavery in the nation of Egypt. And the nation of Israel, for 400 years, had cried out to God, had called out to Him, had been praying earnestly, asking God for freedom. Because life under the the rule of the Egyptians in slavery was harsh. There was a season where the Pharaoh actually said, "If, if the Hebrew women give birth to a male child, go ahead and put it to death. Because the Pharaoh was so paranoid about a military uprising. So the nation of Israel had been under this oppressive regime, forced into slave labor for 400 years. And finally, when you get to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, there's this moment where God brings the people of Israel to freedom after he brings the plagues on Egypt. They they start this journey towards the promised land, towards this place that God had given his people to to live and to rest in peace and in, in the presence of God himself. Now, the only problem with this is that as God lets the nation of Israel go from Egypt, as they start this journey towards freedom, God leads them towards the promised land right through a desert. Now, if I was going to plan a route to take an entire nation of people to a new country, I would not plan a route through the desert. That's poor planning in my eyes. It's like, God, what are you doing? You you set us free. There's there's numerous of us. You're going to lead us right through the desert? And the problem with this is that deserts are not known for having an abundance of food and water, two very crucial things when you have an entire nation of people marching towards freedom. And so if you read the story of Exodus, in chapter 16, the people kind of get fed up with this, and they start grumbling against God. And and the people of Israel, they actually say, I wish we would have just stayed in Egypt. At least there, God could have put us to death in his presence. It's like, oh, that's... That's kind of harsh. And and then they continue to say, at least in Egypt, they say, we all sat around pots of meat and had plenty to eat. Right? They describe it like a barbecue. Like, yeah, we just sat there. There were pots of meat. Everyone had more than enough to eat. No, you were in slavery. That's not a good thing. And and so they're grumbling and and complaining and arguing with God. God, what are you going to do? We don't have food. We don't have water. We're in the middle of this desert. And, And God says something amazing. God says, I will literally rain down bread from heaven. And God does just that. The next day, there's this sort of dew that settles on the grass, and it becomes this this bread that the Israelite people affectionately call manna. And manna sounds like the Hebrew word for what is it. So literally every morning, there's this bread on the ground, and they just call it what is it. What are we having for breakfast? I don't know. What is it? And every day they go out, and God told them, here's the stipulation. You can only gather enough bread for the day that you're in. Well, there's a a group of people that go, all right, God, you want us to do that, but I think we'll gather a double portion because what if the bread isn't here tomorrow? And so this group of smart alecks, they gather a double portion and they wake up and they find the next morning that what they had gathered, the double portion, it's full of maggots and worms and it's unedible. The only time they're allowed to gather a double portion is the night before the Sabbath because they're not to work on the Sabbath. And and what I love about this story is it becomes a place where the nation of Israel had no choice but to utterly depend on on God and on God's provision. So this week, we're we're at this line in the Lord's Prayer that says, give us today our daily bread. Now for us, we're thinking, okay, sure, I like carbs. Yes, give me some bread. 
But for the people of Israel, when they hear, give us today our daily bread, they have this flashback to the Exodus story when the God of all creation literally rained down bread from heaven and God day by day provided just what they needed, just enough, just enough bread for the day that they were in. And so as we pray this prayer, give us today our daily bread, I want to argue and suggest this morning that this is a prayer of the challenges towards utter dependence on God himself. That we cannot pray, give us today our daily bread, without asking all sorts of questions about, do we really trust him? Can we really depend on him? Will God actually provide? Because I think as we, as we break this down this morning, we're going to see that this line of the prayer, give us today our daily bread, is a prayer of utter dependence on God. But how many of us like the idea of dependence? I don't necessarily like the idea of dependence. I think we like the idea of independence. I think the problem, though, is that... I think really the problem comes down to this. I think we get spiritual maturity and physical maturity mixed up. So let me, let me draw this out for you. Because I think what happens... If we think about maturity in this way, so we have dependence down here, independence up here. Now, here, here's how physical maturity works. In physical maturity, right, we start down here in a very dependent state. When you're born as a baby, someone has to change your diaper, someone has to feed you, someone has to clothe you. But as, as you move left to right, going towards maturity, there's this movement from dependence towards a place of independence. And, and part of what we mean by independence, I think there's two core things here. Independence means I can set my own agenda. I can choose what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. The second component to independence is, is self-sufficiency. I'm totally capable, I'm competent, I can take care of myself, I don't need anyone's help. So this is how physical maturity works. The problem is that spiritual maturity focuses in the, or, or works in the inverse of this. Spiritual maturity is about a movement from independence towards a place of utter dependence on God himself. And this is exactly what Pastor Steve talked about last week. When we pray that line in the Lord's Prayer that we talked about last week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, this is a place of, of turning our life over to God. And, and that's in no way is that language of independence. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done says, I'm surrendering my will to you. So this week, when we get to this line, give us today our daily bread, this is this prayer and it's this confession of, okay, God, I'm trusting you to be my provision, to be the one who in your grace will provide for my day-to-day -day needs. So while physical maturity is about a movement from dependence to independence, spiritual maturity is the flip of that. It's a movement from independence. I set my own agenda. I'm self-sufficient. It's a movement towards dependency on God. This is, okay, God, my life is about your agenda, and I recognize that I am in no way self-sufficient, that I need you. So I want to suggest for you today that the Lord's Prayer in this way becomes a reminder of our dependence on God, and it becomes a refusal to believe that we can be self-sufficient. Because the reality is, is, is that we cannot be self-sufficient. We live and we depend on God's grace day in and day out. We need him. But, but of course, this question with dependence is this. Can we really trust the one on whom we're depending? 
Because I, I think we struggle with dependence for a couple reasons. We struggle with dependence, one, because in our culture, it feels like weakness, right? We're taught that as you mature, you should be self-sufficient. You should set your own agenda. You don't need anyone. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the American culture. That's the American way. I think the second reason we struggle with dependence is because there's times and places where you've depended on someone and they haven't followed through. And so you've been burned and you go, all right, I'm not going to get burned again. I'm not going to depend on anyone. I'll step back. I'll be independent. I'll be self-sufficient. That way I don't need to trust anyone. So when we, when we read this line in the prayer, give us today our daily bread, and it's this asking of God for our daily provision, that's a prayer of utter dependence. And, and there's this sort of tug of war within us of, can we really depend on him? So part of the question I want you to wrestle with today is, is, do you really trust God? Can you trust the weight of your life completely and entirely into God's hands and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust your provision? Because I think that's what this line in the prayer is calling us to do, to be utterly and totally and completely dependent on God himself. And I think this only makes sense as we think about this idea of dependence, as we look at the context of the prayer as a whole. This line, give us today our daily bread, does not function independently of the rest of the prayer. You'll remember two weeks ago, we looked at our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so part of the reason that we have the ability to trust and depend on God is because Jesus, as he taught us to pray, says that you confess that God is your Father, that God has our best interest at heart. And if you continue reading the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus says, if you, though you are a sinner, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask? Right? And he paints this picture of God as the benevolent Father who's caring for the well-being of his children. And so we can depend on God because we have first confessed that he's our Father, that he's loving and compassionate and benevolent and working with our best interest at heart. And so we first confess that God is our Father who's worthy of praise, that sets the tone and lays a foundation to be able to pray, give us today our daily bread. Last week in the prayer, we talked about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so we confess that not only is God our Father, but God is our King who's worthy of our obedient surrender. And if we're going to take seriously this idea that Steve talked about last week, as he talked about surrender, if we're going to take seriously, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's a prayer of turning our life over to God, we really have no choice but to depend on him. Because if we say, thy kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is, my will is not going to be done. That's challenging. That places us in a position of utter trust in God's plan, purpose, and agenda for our lives. And so it's only after those two lines do we get to this place of, give us today our daily bread. And we have to depend on God to give us our daily bread because we've already surrendered last week our lives over to him. God, let your will be done in my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go where you say. I'm going to pursue your plan, purpose, and agenda for my life. God, I'm stepping in a trusting way into your hands. And so this prayer, give us today our daily bread. It's not just a prayer for a physical loaf of bread. This is a prayer metaphorically for the provision, the sustenance that we need day in and day out to function. So let me ask you this question again. Do you trust him? Do you trust God's provision in your life? Can you depend on him? Will you trust the weight of your life to his hand? So I, I want to begin to break this down for us. Because I think as we look at this line, give us today our daily bread, I think it begins to, to bring perspective to this. So let, let's look at what are, what, are you, what are we saying? What are we really praying when we pray, God, give us today our daily bread? So I, I want to just kind of diagram this for you. 
The, the first word in this prayer is this little word, give. Now, when, when we pray, God, give, part of what we're acknowledging is that God himself is the giver. And, and if God is the giver, part of what we recognize there, too, is that all of this is a gift of his grace. And so when we pray that, that very first word, God, would you give? Part of what we're confessing is that God is our provider and all we have comes from him. Part of what we're confessing is our deep and utter need for God's grace. It's this recognition that the things that we have, the things that you possess, the material possessions that you have been blessed with by God, those are all a gift of his grace. Do you believe that this morning? And and I think this is one of those places where we want to push back a little bit. I think if we're honest. Say, what what do you mean everything I, I have is a gift of God's grace? I mean, I I went to school, and then I went to grad school, and and I put in 12-hour days to work hard to provide for my family. That's all on me. I earned that. Or maybe it's, you know, I I went into deep debt to buy the family farm and to add more machinery, and I'm I'm working 15, 16-hour days to provide. What do you mean that's a gift of God's grace? I did that. That's on me. I've worked hard. And I think part of what we have to recognize is that the, the intellectual capacity that you have, that's a gift of God's grace. You had no control. Your, your physical health, your ability to work and to have an income, your capacity for relationships, all of those things are a gift of God's grace. And so when it boils down to it, I don't think any of us can say, uh, look what I've accomplished all on my own strength. It's impossible because we live and move and have our being solely by the grace of God. And so when it comes down to it, we have to acknowledge God as the giver of life and the giver of all that we possess. Do you trust God as the giver of life today? Do you trust that it's in his grace and by his benevolent care for you that you live and move and have your being, as scripture says? So as we continue, give us today our daily bread. The next two uh, words in this are, are fascinating to me. Give us our daily bread. And part of what we recognize then is that these are, are plural communal terms. And and I think for so long, I wanted to pray the Lord's Prayer as an individualistic thing. My Father, who's in heaven, give me today my daily bread. But what we see is that all throughout, the Lord's Prayer is, is in fact, a communal prayer. It's our Father, not just my Father. And as we get to this line, it's give us today our daily bread, not my daily bread. And so I think part of what we're challenged with here is to see that it's not just about God providing for my individual needs, but what we realize is that we are enmeshed in a community. And so for the Jewish audience, when they hear, give us today our daily bread, they have this flashback to the Exodus story. And what they hold as truth is that God is providing for his chosen people, the community that God is building for himself, the people with whom he's in a covenant promise. God is caring for that community as a community. And I think what we're challenged with is to say, it's not just about God providing for our needs, but we recognize that we are part of of the body of Christ, the chosen people of God. And I think what this challenges with is to ask the question, what if God is calling me to invest some of the provision that he's blessed me with to give into the life of another? What if God wants to use you to answer your neighbor's prayer, give us today our daily bread? What if the Spirit whispers to your heart, hey, you've been blessed with an abundance, with more than enough, I want you to invest in this person's life. And suddenly, we become the means through which God answers that prayer, give us today our daily bread. St. Basil, writing in the fourth century, he's one of the early church fathers, he said this, 
He said, the bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. The money that depreciates in your treasury belongs to the poor. And to that I say, ouch. I'm guilty of so many of those things. And how many times do we try to to hoard up and become financially stable and secure so that we don't have to trust God and we sort of become miserly with the things that God has provided for us? But part of what we have to realize is that the things that God has given you, if we're going to pray, give us today our daily bread, it's not mine. I don't own it. God has given it as a blessing. But when we looked at last week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, part of what we're saying is everything God blesses with, we've already turned back over to him. So we've already prayed, God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in my finances. Let your will be done in the way that I steward my material possessions. It's not ours. And there might come a time and a place where God says, hey, I want you to give of of this provision that I've provided for you and invest in the life of another person. I mean, this is what we see happening in the life of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He comes to Jesus and says, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And, and we like to sort of explain that away as a metaphor that was just for him. But what if God called us to it? Would we do that? Because we've already prayed, let your will be done in my life. Let your kingdom come. We don't have any claim on the provision that God has given us. It's ours to steward, but not to own and not to hoard. And when we pray, give us today our daily bread. Part of what we recognize is we have a responsibility to the community around us to steward our God-given resources well. Let's continue. Give us today our daily bread. So there's this little word today right in the middle there. And I think this, this idea of give us today speaks to the reality that we're called to live in the moment. It doesn't say, give me tomorrow's bread. It doesn't say, give me next week's bread. No, it's give us today our daily bread. And and I think for so many of us, we live in a sense of anxiety and stress about what tomorrow holds that we forget to live in the present moment that God has blessed us with. How many times has God blessed us with something, but we're so anxious about tomorrow or next week or what the future holds that we miss the present blessing that God has given us? And and I think the idea here is that God is saying, listen, I'm providing for you today. And and as, as I was studying this week, part of my prayer for my life was, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear today what you're blessing me with. Because so often I let stress or worry or anxiety about the future rob the present moment of joy. But Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, pray for God's provision today in the moment. Because so much of what we worry about in the future is hypothetical. It's not reality. It's not even here yet. And we let it rob our joy in the present moment. And there's something about this, give us today, that that draws our attention back to the present moment. And and later in in Matthew chapter 6, we'll read this in a second, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems of, of its own. And so when we pray, God, give us today, it's this challenge for us to live engaged in the present moment and to be aware of God's provision right here, right now, not letting the future anxiety rob us of that joy. Give us today. Let us live in the present moment, overjoyed at what God has given us, because God provides for the day that we're in. Finally, there's this uh, word daily. Give us today our daily bread. And that it says daily bread tells me that this is about just enough. If I were going to pray this prayer the way that I want to pray it, I wouldn't pray, give us today our daily bread. I would pray, 
Lord, would you bless me with a bread truck? Right? I don't want just enough. Because if God gives me just enough bread for today, well, what about tomorrow, right? And I'm drawn right back into what we just talked about. I'm worrying about tomorrow because all I have is enough bread for today. And, and what I would really love is, God, if you would bring a bread truck, if you would give me more than enough provision, if I could be totally financially stable, if my 401k was big enough, and if my pension was secure enough, I wouldn't have to actually even trust you. I would be financially secure and I could be all right. I'd be free of stress and worry and anxiety. The problem is, when we live that way, is what we're actually trusting in, what we're actually putting our faith in, is our financial stability and the provision that we have. I think how God desires for us to live is wholly surrendered to Him with our faith and our trust and our security actually rooted in Him. Because He's unshakable, He's unchangeable. And so often it's, God, I don't don't want to pray for daily bread. I want you to bless me over and abundantly because what about tomorrow? I think the other thing that this challenges us with is that God provides what we need, not necessarily what we want. What I want is overabundance, but often God says, I'm going to provide just enough to meet this need. And I think part of the reason why is that it causes us to live in a continual place of trust and faith that day by day that God will provide. But recognizing just enough is hard, isn't it? Stanley Hauerwas, a theologian and ethicist at Duke University, says, In America, most of us perish from too much bread, not not having enough bread. And and I think we live in a culture of such abundance that we have a hard time recognizing what does just enough look like. And so sometimes God has blessed us in huge ways and, and we step back and we're frustrated and it still doesn't seem to be enough. So I think part of what's wrapped up in here is this idea of contentment. Can you be content in the day-to-day provision that God blesses you with. Now, a a couple caveats to this. Um, Number one, this is not an excuse for laziness, right? So this is not the kind of thing that we can say, you know what, if if God's going to provide my daily bread, I think I'll just check out, I'll I'll just, you know, I'll quit my job, and and I'll go do my thing, I'll sleep in every day, and I'll pray and trust that God will bring provision. No, I don't think there's any, any room to be a sort of disengaged people because if we look at the context of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, part of what we've said is, okay, God, I'm about your will and I'm about your kingdom. And so taken holistic, holistically, this is a call to actively engage in the mission and calling of God's kingdom. So there's no room here to sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to be lazy and hope that God provides. No, the idea here is that we live as missionally engaged people, and as we engage in the calling of the gospel of the kingdom of God, that God will provide as we are faithful to his call and his mission. This is not laziness. This is, this is sacrifice. This is surrender. This is pouring our lives totally into the gospel. So I would argue, too, the second caveat to this is that this prayer involves a radical reprioritizing of our lives. Let me read this for you out of Matthew chapter 6. Verse 28 says, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we wear or what should we drink? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow 
For tomorrow will worry about its for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that text that I just read is also part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And I think when you look at the larger context of Matthew, part of what happens when we pray, give us today our daily bread, is that we're trusting God for our provision. And what it does is it readjusts the focus of our life. I think for so many of us, we live life in survival mode saying, I've got to get through this day. I've got to get through this week. I need to, to, to live paycheck to paycheck, hoping I can just survive. And the focus, the sole reason for our living becomes the pursuit of that next financial input so that we can provide for ourselves. And, and slowly we find ourselves running after just the basic necessities to live, and that becomes the sole purpose of our life. And Jesus says, I think this is a hard word, he says, the people around you that don't know God, he says, that's the things that they run after, the things that they ch chase after, that they strive after. And so I think part of the question becomes for us, and, and I want you to wrestle with this, what are you running after? What, what are you really pursuing? What is the goal? What is the focus? What is the purpose of your life? When it comes down to it, what is it that you're really chasing and pursuing? Part of my prayer this week is that you really wrestle with that question. What, what, what is it that I'm after? What, what is the point? What is the purpose? What is the thing that I'm chasing in my life and why? Because I think when we pray, give us today our daily bread, as this prayer of dependence, it becomes a reprioritizing thing to say, okay, God, I'm going to invest my life in your kingdom. Because you've said, seek first the kingdom. And as we are missionally faithful, God will meet us there and God will faithfully provide. And I don't think this means that you have to quit your job and we all become missionaries. I think part of what this means is that you take the place where God has you right now and you make that a missional opportunity. Right? So think about this. I think, I think this can work in any environment. And maybe you're saying, okay, well, well I'm just a farmer and I, I ride in the tractor by myself every day. I don't even see other people. But listen, I, I know tractors have auto steer now, right? You don't even have to drive the thing. So imagine this. Imagine if while you're sitting in the tractor during harvest and planting season, what if that became a sanctuary of prayer where you invited the spirit and the power and the presence of God into your family, into your community, into the people that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? What if you just prayed and prayed and prayed and interceded for family and friends and loved ones to know Jesus? What kind of revival might happen then? Maybe you work in the business sector and, and you encounter clients and people every day. What would happen if you said, God, I want to seek first your kingdom right here in the place where I work? How might your place of business and work be revolutionized and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. What, what would it look like for you to pray over your kids and your, your family day in and day out and to let that become a sanctuary of God's peace that you invite others into and they encounter God's presence in and through the way you do life? What does it look like to really seek God's kingdom first in the midst of every arena of life? So what do we do with this? How do we respond? I want to leave you with four questions that I hope haunt you through the week. With four things that I hope the Spirit unsettles you with at a core level as you think about and reflect on what this looks like for your life. I want to think about surrender. Where are you living independently that God is asking you to surrender and be dependent on him. Maybe your finances is a place where you've said, God, I'm going to set my agenda for my finances. I'm going to steward them how I see fit. And God is saying, yeah, what would happen if you surrendered that to me? 
Maybe it's your vocation. You, you've been running after a career and a, and a promotion, and God's saying, hey, when are you going to surrender that to me? When are you going to depend on me in that area? Secondly, I want us to think about giving. Is there a place where God is calling you to give of the resources that he has provided you with and, stewarded, and, and given you to steward? And maybe God is calling you to generosity because when we give, I think we reflect God's character because God is a giver, sending his only son to die for us. And so when we become a generous people who give what God has given us to steward, when we give that to others, I think it becomes a reflection of his character. Third, I want to ask, are there places where you need to learn what it is to be content? And maybe we would flip this around and ask the other way, where's the source of discontentment in your life? Where's the place where you feel unsettled and, and, and you just feel like, I want to keep pushing into this? And God is saying, what does it look like for you to be content in me in that area? And finally, I want to ask, is there a place where we need to reprioritize? A place where you've been seeking first your kingdom, your agenda, and God's been saying, what, what are you running after? What is it that you're pursuing? And maybe today becomes a moment of surrender. Uh, the worship team is going to lead us in a moment of worship and reflection, and, and I challenge you, think about, pray about these, these questions. Wrestle with it at a heart level, and I pray that that God would reprioritize us to be people who seek him first.